Welcome to the Grow Home Discussions, a podcast brought to you from growroom420.com. In the Grow Home Discussions, we discuss the many aspects around growing cannabis. We hope you enjoy this episode. Check out our other podcasts. And of course, come and say hello on the forum at growroom420.com. So, keeping mums. Something you see a lot of people asking questions about. It's, it's, you know, not many people are keeping mums as much anymore, I think. But, um, yeah, it's something you see a lot of questions about. And obviously, there's a thousand ways to do it, and there's a lot of right and wrong ways. So I think we discuss that, and then we can... Uh, the, what, what we think is the correct way to do it. I know you and me are going to differ on it, so... Yeah, man, I don't think there... Uh, I, I don't want to say... I don't... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I don't want to say there's a, a right way and a wrong way. Right? No, no. But I don't know. Yeah, no, that's definitely. It's going to be, it's, it. yeah, it's going to be an interesting. Because yeah, I don't know. You get people who have been who they they they'll clone from their first seed. Yeah, and but they won't necessarily be keeping a mother for from from their first seed. And then I don't, I don't know. There's lots lots of different approaches because you. Oh, fucking hell! I'm making a mess. Um. You get some again who smash this shit up quick. Um, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, so, oh yeah, you get you get a lot of people who don't hold the concept of mothers until they start seeing the diversity in seeds. Yeah. Is it? Is... I, I definitely get that, and that's what I say. You don't see a lot of people. I think that's what it is. I think there's a lot of new growers hitting with all the uh, what's going on in the world at the moment, and, and that's maybe what it is. But I just remember everybody had a mum back in the day, but I don't think everyone is doing that now. Um, I think there's for me, there's two different types of mums as well, which makes it even more confusing. So if you're just trying to save a genetic, some genetics, sorry, if you're just trying to save a plant, I mean, you don't want the thing growing rapidly. And you don't want it outside and needing to go into bigger pots. You want to be able to keep it small. But obviously, if you are growing to for a perpetual grow type setup and you want a mother for that, then realistically, you do want it to be a healthy, strong, vigorous plant that you can you know, tear apart as and when you need it. That's a very good point, man. So and I thought about that literally a minute ago when just before we come on. And I thought, oh, that's another angle. But it's true. I mean, if I want to save a plant... Um, God, I'm about to use the word CFL, but I mean, something like a CFL or a T5 fluorescent would be perfect. It's not going to grow fast. It's going to sit happily, healthily, not being stressed out by too much light in a nice, easily, easy to control environment that I can keep it in, in, a, in, a, in a very small pot for a very long time. But I'm not going to get eight cuttings off of that, not eight healthy cuttings to go straight into however you want to root it. So then obviously, if I do want that, then I'm going to be looking to probably be using for myself, uh, like a you know, a 250 watt MH or something, you know, a, a proper grow setup. You want a proper plant, didn't you? That's fair. Well, because I was kind of rolling a few mothers, mm. I could almost stay in that first bit where it was only when I'd need to cut them back that it would kind of pop up in my rotation that, oh, it's time to grow them again anyway. Like my supply would run low about the time I'd have to cut back the mothers. For yeah. So I could kind of take my clones while I was cutting the mother back just into a nice shape or into a smaller plant. So it's maintainable, like you say. But 
where I've gone and got rid of all my mothers bar one now, that single mother has kind of become the production plant. Yeah. And I've had to up its its metabolism and its lifestyle because now I'm expecting, like you say, eight clones probably every four weeks. Yeah. And if it's a normal happy plant, that's more than manageable. Yeah. But, but when I was treating it mean and keeping it low and slow, that wouldn't, I'd maybe get eight clones every 16 weeks. The health of the clone as well is important, isn't it? I mean, once you've got rooting down to a T, I mean, it's not that difficult. But if someone just in it the first time, if it's not a healthy plant, not got a healthy clone to try and get a healthy rooted cutting as well. I, I found anyway, you know, extend your rooting time insanely. Exactly. Yeah. I think what you said now on the head, the plant's metabolism, if it's already high, it's going in and, and it, as it's going into, however you're cloning it, we can cover cloning. That's a whole level um, discussion, but however you are cloning it, it's, it's already a vigorous mini plant. It's just got to produce the roots and speed things up. If it's a, you know what I'm saying? You see the plants that are under T5. Now, look, I know people veg under T5, but I don't think there's much argument for if you're going to be vegging under a decent LED or a decent HID or CMH as well, then it's going to be a faster, a faster growth, a more vigorous growth. So I think that's, that's an important note on it. But it just occurred to me that I was sitting there thinking about like keeping genetics and I don't, if I'm keeping eight mums, I don't need eight cuttings off of eight mums every 10 weeks. That's, that's, that's madness so i want to keep majority of them happy but just plodding just plodding along so so restricting light is a really good way of like you say doing that yeah keeps it, it in super slow veg because yeah it does it does and that's why i don't like cfls but that's another whole discussion i think we should do a whole couple of hours on that hey man on that one but then <laughs> it's kind of it goes to show that every light does have its use. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I think LEDs sort of taking that now because they're all dimmable now as well, so you can really tailor that. I don't think it's dimmable enough. Twenty-two watts out of one of them boards will cover uh, one meter square of veg happily, like a, a quite a quick veg if your temperature's on point as well. That's mad. Yeah, I've had to drop back down to a ten watt in 60 by 70 and they're still happy like it it's that right amount of light that they're never having to deal with too much light which is yeah. i find really easy to do with leds yeah definitely i mean there's the thing the hid 250 watt is obviously i know you can get 150 watts but i mean the 90 percent of growers are going to be using dimmable ballast and 250 watt out of any bulb is is a lot of light um for small plants so yeah. that's when the t5s come into play i've never actually had i've got some t5 fluorescents that i use on top of my cloner and i'll tell you what they changed my opinion a little bit because they are mad bright and they're probably eight watt they're tiny but they're the super blue um bulbs yeah are they 18 watt each or something across them i think um, they might be less than that i think the next one's operating what i think they might be okay. 12 i'm not sure that they're, they're really small they're about six inches but yeah i i've never used t5 either but i always have to concede that i've never seen plants veg so happily under anything yeah right t5 just seems to be the one that produces the right amount of light for what's needed in the right colors 
Yeah, exactly. And I do think, again, look, I've said on a few podcasts now about the LED side to my HPS side. It just was less intrusive. Like, I know that's not a, a technical scientific way to put it, but it's less intrusive. It's not as intense. It's not baking the plants. And I think T5 does that really well. It's not stressing them at all. It's just, as you say, it's a sweet spot almost. But yeah. I wouldn't use it to veg plants in a big setup per se i think for me t5 has god we're going to cover light in here this is you were saying this this could be a rabbit hole but i think t5 is more suited to seedlings young young plants and clones but it doesn't i've seen people like k-bag done the he vegged um some monster plants under them so one of his best groves he said was under t5 yeah yeah um but i think again going back to keeping mothers it comes down to what pace you're looking at of your mothers yeah and again if you've got a few you can turn through and can kind of bring back into peak health before you need to bring them into rotation that's like again something you can kind of bring uh, use to your advantage because you know slow uptake and stuff it slows their growth so you can kind of keep things manageable yeah no i totally agree totally agree with that but again it's like um when i first started taking mother plants of my own they weren't really to be mothers they were more to be test plants to see what i could get away with with plants and it kind of gave me probably a bit overconfidence but now i can kind of let my mother stocks get to a point that it's kind of depressing to see, but they're very established plants. So they're really robust and can bounce back from some really serious shit, man. Which is a plus, isn't it? Because they're often neglected by the plants. We don't like to say that, but I mean, they do often get a bit neglected, when you, especially when you're busy with a full tent in flower or something. So a robust plant that can bounce back is probably important. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that, that should really come down to your selection of the mother plant, but... Mm. We'll come back to that in a moment, but it's also once they get to once you've got a, a clone and you've got roots, you're usually a bit more comfortable that it can take a little more damage. But once you've got a pot fully rooted out and all but root bound, they almost need wilting and damaging to keep them in line sometimes, just so you can regain some root space by killing off some some of the old stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I've had some, again, I've had some real bad accidents with mothers as well. And again, if they weren't established, they wouldn't have come back. I once forgot about a mother, a very important plant as well. That I was gifted and it completely dried out to the point that, 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 that it was down the back of a scrog and I forgot it was there. And the whole plant was dead, like dry, like, but I know the, the leaves are like, brown and crispy you could just crumble them up but right down the bottom right coming out right above the, the cocoa was a little sprout and i managed to pull the mother back plant back from that tiny sprout when everything else was dead it was mad it's just coming off the bottom of the stem it's like well i hadn't cleaned it up almost like normally i try and clean the mums up a bit but i hadn't i've been lazy so but that would never ever have happened with a with a three-week-old mother that hadn't been looked after in the past and it wasn't established so yeah, a lot of value to them old, robust plants. They're like little trees, aren't they? Like woody. <laughs> I mean, I had to cull a lot of mine because I was kind of uh, evaluating their different structures and shit. And I realized I was keeping what I'd call a out of tens, where 
I really want to be looking for 11 out of 10s if I'm keeping it forever more. And little things like how the branches connect to the main stem. Some plants have a really bulbous, knuckled support structure at them nodes. Yeah. And others just seem to join up and almost create a divide between the the branch and the plant. And a lot of the stock that I was holding didn't support its own structure well enough for me to be kind of confident that it's a, a healthy, robust plant that could look after itself forevermore. Don't get me wrong, smokes were usually of decent quality. I w- wouldn't have been keeping it if it was proper shit, but my evaluation of what I'm keeping as a mother has kind of like, it's gone up an extra step because, yeah, I don't want shit that I can walk past and branches fall off. Yeah, that is a problem. Do, do you think, though, that might have something to do also, again, with the lighting setups and the way that it's kept as a mother? No. No. Um, I, the genetics, the, the one plant I have kept, it still puts out them shoulders at every branch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was literally just like my selection of genetics at the time was, I, I was just going on purely what the smoke quality was at the end where that is number one tick box, but there's still like another four or five categories I have to fill in for myself to make it a a mother forever. So why don't we talk about that then? What would be for you, for your opinion, a the right plant to be kept as a mother? What would be the, and that's another rabbit hole in itself, but let's tick the boxes. No, no, um, what would be ticking your boxes to keep it? I think... My my top three are definitely smokeability, trimmability, and then how well it grows, pretty much. Um, after that, I might be more worried about how its yield is per plant to area, and then it's looking at its structural properties, basically how how it's supporting itself as a mother plant. Yeah. But first off, I gotta love the smoke. Of course, yeah. It's just, it's second just one, the only thing. second one is like, if I hate trimming a plant that I plan on growing forever, I'm putting myself in my own hell. Like, if I'm keeping something leafy that I hate to actually clean up, then if I'm planning on turning that out every four weeks, every six weeks, whatever, I'm lining myself up for my own personal hell. So yeah. trimmability is right up there, number two. No, I'd, I'd definitely agree with that one as well. It is, we've all had them strains that just, that you don't ever seem to finish, do you? It just well, goes on and on by the hour and you're on the same cola because it's just leaf the, after leaf after leaf. The strains that keep going are all right. The ones that keep you keep finding leaves on the same bud that you've been trying to put down for half yeah. an hour are horrible. Like, I love the ones where you're like, fucking hell, I've been trimming for two and a half hours. That side's full. That side's still full. Where, where have I got? Like, <laughs> I haven't made a dent in it yet. <laughs> but when you're chasing a leaf around a bud for fucking for half an hour, it's like, yeah. that does my sweet in. Yeah. It's not exactly that the trim gets messier and messier as the hours roll by, doesn't it? With that one, because you do get, you just give up. I did it last night, man. The bottom kind of third of what was the plant's canopy is just in the trim drawer. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to that when it's dry. It'll be all right. See, I, I would like for that. Because I, where the two tents, I used to dry in one. 
because I was supposed to be doing like a, a rotating harvest, it never worked out. So I dry in one and I'd end up dumping all the pots into the other tent. Just like, just leave them in there. I put the dehumidifier, I just dry it out, easier to break down and get rid of. But I started to notice that there was ounces and ounces of the stuff on the leafier plants that I couldn't be bothered with that was just on the bottom. Over like, I'm talking about over eight to 10 pots here, but I mean, yeah, it's a nightmare. So it's a very valid point, I think. Trimmability. It's high, man. It, mm. I can't remember what I said number three was. I should have made a list. Oh, no, that's a, we were doing a checklist as well. <laughs> but can you uh, imagine on the, on the commercial side as well? I know a lot of them get trimmers in, but I mean, obviously you're paying them it, trimmers by the hour. So Yeah, man, man hours, even if it's a hobby, man hours are important. Yeah, of course. Yeah, It, it takes me eight to ten hours with a bowl trimmer to do a 2.4, 1.2 And I'm, I'm pretty ruthless now. I don't really give a shit how it looks because it just goes into oil. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, it, it's mad how long it does take mad how long it takes to do it it's that one job on it that just almost makes it not worth it sometimes <laughs> but yeah um but then i suppose this we've both had plants that are slightly less vigorous and slightly more work and you don't grow them all the time but it's still kind of worth having it in your stock because when you get a whiff of it when you're walking down the high street or something you're like fuck man i really liked that strain i'm not smoked in too long mm. So you can put yourself through it sometimes, like the EXO. That's one of the problems with the EXO for me. I love that strain. I mean, there's a, a little mother tucked up somewhere at the moment. And every time I go around there, I brush it. It just smells like, oh. But then I remember the chops and it's like, I'll just go Asian orange again because I can pick them off of my fingers. But yeah, but it's just, so we've got obviously smokeability and high, and then we've got trim. So that's the first two, smokeability high and trim. Number three. I think it's vigor and health in general. Yeah, to be honest, and that's kind of where I was tip, uh, noting that we have you, we will make concessions, but it's not usually for a single production mother. If that's what we're talking about here, yeah, you can make additions to your stock if it's super unique, but they rarely will become a regular turnover mother. Yeah, yeah, but like you say, the you you might smell the exo every time, but. You kind of, I, I'm not facing trimming that bastard. Yeah, it's, it's literally, you think I'm doing four months growing and it is the last 14 hours, 15 hours, which is a lot longer than what the Agent Orange takes. I just, I just can't deal with it. I will, I'll get to the point where I'll just do it. But I'm not smoking the flower at the moment. So for me, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter as long as it's doing the right job and the concentrate I'm making. So, yeah. but again, if I was, it'd be very different. Like you're a connoisseur almost, you really are. And with the... Oh, sorry, the strains that you keep and the way that you do things uh, and, and, and the way that you, you appreciate your bud and the way that you put your time left into curing them. So it's a bit different for you. So well, I've had to, for the mother I keep, I had to actually adapt my style slightly because it's a monster crop mother and it, it joins its nodes really well, but is leggy. Yeah. So it's not a plant that you can just let go unsupported. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't often scrog, but because the mother almost needs it, it's become the method I'll use for that plant. Which, so it kind of goes almost against the first two, but you can adapt your growing style to kind of bring out the most of certain genetics as well sometimes when they're worthwhile. 
Like I think I said it last night. Sometimes you get strains that just want to put up a single collar. Yeah. And you have to adapt your growing style for that almost. And that's what this mother plant's really kind of done for me. It's got me to adjust my growing style. It in good ways, don't get me wrong. It it helps a lot of other plants, but it's very it it needs the support. So yeah. it, even though it's super vigorous, it's not as structurally robust. But then for a mother being so vigorous, it does root in like five days. So it's kind of like um, I'm not, yeah, I, I can't get a hundred percent on everything, but there's some advantages that I'll take over certain disadvantages. Yeah. Obviously they'll differ from person to person, grower to grower, but, um, it's important that you outline that in your head, I think, because if not, you can end up keeping a lot of mums that you're never going to end up running. That's the problem that I've had. I end up keeping mums that I'm not going to run for some of the reasons we just mentioned. Maybe it's a pain in the ass of the train. Maybe it's a nightmare to trim. Maybe it doesn't yield well. Maybe it's there's a number of reasons. But then you, you, I think everyone goes through the phase of growing from seed. That's how you start out, unless you're very lucky to be given something special when you first start. But most people start out not talking to anybody, and then they will move into seeds and then they'll find a mum but i think the minute that you find a mum or more importantly the minute you allow yourself an area to keep a mum every single seed that you grow for the next year ends up becoming a mum and then you realize the checklist needs to come into play at least that's what happened with me i ended up with like eight mums and it was just like that's madness i don't need eight mums but it was just i got overexcited with keeping mothers it became its own little project almost I think for me, it was like I lost what I thought was the one for a while. So I became really hoard a hoarder, basically. Like I was like, nope, you're not leaving until you're tried and tested. Like, which it, it's not a bad process to try and maintain, but you still have to have a, a heavy cull program and not just keep everything. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that I now try and keep, if I'm growing from seed, if it's the same strain, every geno or phenotype that I can find, I will keep one clone off. Because it, in the setup I've got, the little cloner, I'm almost guaranteed 100% success rate. That's not me, that's that's the kit doing it. But what I'm getting by that, if I have got something special, I've got that one to keep. But I'm not turning them into mums, I will time it. So I'm basically taking a cloning flower, so that's just taking a clone. And then if that plant turns out to be something real special after it's dried, after it's killed, I've got the backup. If not, they end up going in the bin. But I've before I would take them in veg because obviously I think re-vegging the plant can change the plant sometimes for the good, for good or bad. The problem with that, and also it's a lot harder to root once they're in, in heavy flower. So I'm taking clones at week seven, say. So they're rooting around week 10 when I'm harvesting. So they're in the cloner. But I used to take them in veg, so I ended up with like 10, 12, five-inch pots, just in case five-inch pots. Not, I'm keeping you five-inch pots, but then that takes up an 80 by 80, and it just got out of control, man. But I think it's important to always try and save us something. We've, again, I want to do a cloning chat, so I don't want to go into it too much, but the way you said about using the jiffy bag and just, you know, uh, like a root right or something, that's a very cost-effective, low-maintenance easy way to keep a mum of a plant or to start a mother of a plant um, rather than trying to keep 25 inch pots in case you've got something special 
That's it. It becomes difficult if you're doing, say, say you're lucky enough to do a five plant run that you are planning on. <laughs> you're planning on pheno hunting now. Yeah. And you have to take a clone of each of them before you run them. And you wanted to actually, you actually wanted to do a clone of each in the first place. So you had a, a decent run to, to see the different areas of your grow space. It soon pumps up your numbers for stuff that you were just trying to figure out what was going on in that genetics. Like, yeah, yeah. And that can, that can be quite a long period as well, man. I've only done, I think, two um, grows where I've grown a plant to seed take uh kept that back as like the stock plant and then rooted clones to test the genes yeah. from which i'd kind of say that's the per- the perfect way if you're going to do it because you've got like kept genetics that you're testing the offcuts of already so if any anything happens during the cloning process you could potentially see it the first time round yeah but it adds so much time, man. Like I am shit starting seeds, especially young seeds like that I want to cut up because I'm like, I'll just ignore you, man. <laughs> and it takes like freaking twelve weeks before I've got two branches that are worth dealing with. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's definitely like swings and roundabouts about how you do it. Do you just keep turning on your your normal your normal self-sufficient run and take a clip right near the end and keep your numbers nice and low or do you go balls to the walls focus on finding a genetic for a little while and then if you do find it you're almost set for a while that's it that's what i try to do i try to do that i like to try and run something a lot of one strain by a lot i mean where we are in the world we can't do what some other places can but like eight of the same strain from from a good genetic that's not i know i'm not going to put it in and get eight completely different plants from the seed and then yeah and then run from there sort of run anything slightly differences i've got and that's why i end up seem to run strains four or five diaries at a time or i'll have a grow that i'm not documenting just because it's the same strain i just done under the same kit and it's just going to be look exactly the same so yeah it's nice to test it man it is. I've always I bang on about it, but everyone should grow a same strain from clone a few times. You really learn your setup and your growing skill with that. It's different different strains. I know different strains react differently, but you can really play with feed. You can really play with environment. But that's another whole discussion. We've got to be careful of the rabbit holes today, man. We'll be off. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. Like even the biggest rabbit hole i thought we were going to fall into was how long you can keep mothers and i was getting to that <laughs> potentially rolling mothers as well man yeah because yeah. we get i'm going to use a big word potentially but um epigenetic drift is yeah. a real thing that we always kind of used to it, it's nature and nurture but it, it's actually now got some scientific proven backing that you know, a, a lifestyle and even things that you've been through can change your expe- expressions in your DNA through your RNA. So if you stress the shit out of a plant, you can actually change how it expresses almost forevermore. Yeah. No, I agree. I've, I've seen that firsthand, I think, in one of the mums that I keep, always given. Um, I totally agree with that. And I'm a nightmare for that. I like to recycle my mums. I've always been very vocal about that when I talk about mums because I don't like growing under low, power, low which is why I thought, again, we're going to differ because I will grow under 
250, 400-watt HF. Normally because it's sharing a space with veg and plants, but what I'm getting at is, is they do grow pretty quick. Maybe I do need to look at T5s or something because when I do keep them on the thing, even, and I keep them, I want to get to this again in a minute, but the mediums, I keep it in cocoa just because it's easier. I've always got a feed to suit. There's always going to be a feed that can suit or just chuck an extra litre of water in there and it'll be fine, you know, like water it down a bit. So I do recycle mums, like you say, and I, that probably ain't doing the genetics any good. But reality is I'm not running something over and over and over again. I'm running it four, maybe six times. And then I'm going to be bored of it. But uh. yeah, it, it's just an interesting one because if we don't have space to to keep a solid mother, in my head we've kind of got. I think the agreed number is between eight and ten um, cycles of revegging a plant before yeah. you you see potentially a major drift in genetics, or at least something the grower would notice. Yeah, like. The potential mutations happen from day one, but how large they are and how like visible they are to the grower, they 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 vary massively. Like shit, like throwing out an extra tooth on one of the leaf serrates. Not many of us are going to really notice that for the first while. Yeah, but those kind of mutations develop over time and lead into other potential. Well. Yeah, one mutation can lead on to another one. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. Like, I can't remember where it was, but a couple, quite recently, somebody uh, developed a, a type of potato that was actually poisonous. Mad. Like, that was just natural selection as well, man. Yeah. Eventually, mutations throw out random shit. So, I'm not saying be afraid of crossing genes, but at the end of the day... Plants and nature does some fucking wild shit. This is it, mate. It's evolution, isn't it? It's why we are where we are. And it's why plants are. And that's why we, we can grow the plants that we can in our, in our little tents and setups. Yeah. It, so. For me, it was like, it gave me a little bit more respect over the life of what I'm trying to look after. Yeah. If I'm trying to just like maintain what it was, I really need to maintain it in the state it was when I was trying to maintain, uh, when I liked it. If, if it goes through far too many different variations, God really knows what's going to happen to the outcome potentially. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. And I think, as you say, by recycling the way that I do, I, I will keep it mum. My mums won't last more than two months. I will be then looking to take two cuts off it in it. So by doing that, I am. I'm stressing them out and obviously create, creating situations where things can change up genetically. So, and I, I or often my clones will come from a reveg plant, or from a reveg clone. My mums will come from a reveg clone, is what I used to say. So already I'm throwing some possible genetic diversity into it, into into the mix by doing that. So yeah, I think you covered how some plants react real well to monster cropping. Yeah, other ones aren't the best because if you're trying to keep a monster crop mother you'll be very surprised how high maintenance they are just because every bit of stem that has like a potential a potential growth node on it when it goes into reveg that's no longer a potential now they're fucking going for it and then they mate i'd say i love them i love them they are i'm just doing the the, the next side diary again from when i got first got first grow i didn't realize it was reveged 
and the XO was never what I thought. Uh, so not, it does everything I wanted it to, but it wasn't what I remember, I don't think. And I, I'm not saying that was my revenge, but how many times it's been revenge. But I love that shape, man. It's like every bit of, it's like the bug turns into stem, doesn't it? It's like, it's just mental. Like it was bugs on a stick and then they just turn into these mad bushes, man. Yeah, I, I was talking to TTL on the forum and the correct term for what we call calyx are actually brack. And brack... <sighs> Basically, calyx is a a tear shaped or like a rounded petal on leaf, on flowers, but these aren't actually petals. They're specifically designed sexually. Uh, sorry, they're a sexually designed leaf. So it's a brack. It's literally a leaf that's been formed to help catch pollen. So when you reveg, you can watch the bracts turn back into fan and sugar leaves. Yeah, which it's mad. I, yeah, I didn't really know what I was looking at until I kind of understood that the calyx aren't flowers; they're really like really specialized leaves. But as soon as they're not needed because the plant's not in that sexual state anymore they turn back into leaves and you can kind of actually watch that real funky one fan leaf or two fingered fan leaf come out. And it's yeah. like, holy shit, man, that was a calyx curled up and like just in a different genetic shape. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about it like that, because it is, that's the typical trait, isn't it? The single fan leaves on a reveg plant. So as I yeah. say, it's almost as if all of the bud, the, the bud, when you, when you take a real late clone, like I, I, I do often, it is. It's, it's basically the bud turns back into leaves, and it's mad to watch. I'd like to do a time lapse on that, actually. Yeah, man, because every one of them leaves becomes, well, almost becomes the base of a branch node as well. Yeah. So you think about that bud. How many brack or calyx or whatever you want to think call it, like, are in a square centimeter? Yeah. How many fucking nodes have you now got coming out of that square centimeter? Like, it's fucking insane. This is why I love revegging because I scrog. So you effectively start off with like a ten-headed plant, you know, because <laughs> you do. It takes a bit longer, yeah, to reveg them, but it, it effectively you're starting off with like ten um, tops, and you do from a bud on a stick, which is a very cool for scroggers or people looking for really small bushes. But then again, also they're not often I've found as structurally sound, like you were saying earlier. Then it is what's the word for it? They very rarely become like they, their branches aren't thick and robust. Yeah, they're not. It takes a bit of time to get there. So there's definitely drawbacks to that side of it. So yeah, that's mad though. I've never actually thought about it. It's, it's amazing the things as a grower that you sort of already know through a bit of you know, common sense in your head. But like when you said about the calyx is being designed to catch pollen, and yeah, it's mad. yeah. It, it was kind of like a domino effect. As soon as I was like, holy shit, they're leaves? Yeah. Of course they're fucking leaves, because they look like... Le <laughs> like As soon as they come out, and you've re-vegged it, and it's like, yeah. But them dominoes wouldn't have been lined up unless I'd re-vegged a plant and seen how fucking gnarly it throws stuff out. Yeah. Like, previously, I could have read that information and just not made sense. Mm. No, it wouldn't, because it, it, it just, just things don't click. This is what I love about these chats. It's like the saw one last week. Really, it opened my eyes again to a lot of a lot of aspects of growing in soil again because it's just bits you don't put together as a grower because we, we you get set and you get tunnel vision sometimes. 
know, you're doing what you want to get to the end you want. And there's, there's so many other aspects to it. But we're not going to rabbit hole. Come on. What are we doing here? This is all about rabbit holes, man. <laughs> but reveg is all part of keeping that, potentially yeah. keeping that mother plant. And I think monster cropping is potentially a powerful tool if it works for the plants you're trying to use it on. Yeah, some strains react very well, very well. I mean, some just don't. Uh, do you know what? What I've noticed, and this is just from experience, is is the shorter, stockier plants in nature seem to do better. And then when you go for, like, say, for the Agent Orange versus the Exo, the Agent Orange doesn't re-veg well at all. It takes a long time to be a building block to move into proper veg. Whereas a short, stockier plant, I've found, growing the Exo, or what one did I do? I think it was a... Candy Kush or no candy, I can't remember. But yeah, that might just be my experience, but I think maybe there is something in that. If it's a tall spindly plant and you're producing something that's going to give you taller and more spindly branches and nodes than normal from the off, it takes a bit longer to get into it, to into its stride, I'd say. Fair. I don't think that's unreasonable. Like, it's. Uh, I think the Agent Orange has got more um, thin leaf genetics in there as well. Yeah. So it, it's more of a long flowering plant as well. Like, I don't know. It, it seems like the longer flowering plants have just a slower life cycle or lifestyle. Yeah. So I like, like that. Yeah, lifestyle. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. It's, I'm going 12 weeks in flower, man. Don't rush me and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stoner of the stoner plant. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. Like, yeah. you know, they're. They've got a long way to go, so they're not really running early. Marathon runners. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that way of training for, and it works as well. So, I I, I can't really put too much to that because I do grow like just ninety percent hybrids, ninety nine percent hybrids. But yeah, it seems like the the ones that have a more broad leaf. They seem to to veg a lot harder, a lot faster, fill out branchier quicker. Yeah. But then, yeah, and a nice, a nice long-legged ladies like it's hard to turn down. This is this is it. It's, it's just horses for courses, isn't it? And if you change, amazing that you changed. Like my style that you said earlier, started growing was suited around a plant that I grew for a long time, and I grew indica. What I'd like to call indica dominance. I know it's very watered down. Um, label at the moment but you know what I mean short stocky brutes but when I started growing the other ones it just everything changed in my growing stuff the first time I'd done the AO it just did not work but yeah no I get that man because even the brain damage that's meant to be a rather old school actually I think that's a a pretty hybrid hybrid as well but it's got a lot of them indica broadleaf kind of low white traits. Yeah. But the Disco Biscuit, it's got very similar leaf structure, but it's got a diff- completely different growth structure. It wants to put out long branches and shit. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't necessarily use the same a growing strategy on both my mothers at the moment because one's going to give me 21 days stretch that I can run through nets and train around where the other one is just kind of it sets up its structure and then you've got seven days of a, a little bit of bud formation and then the rest of it's just into flower 
So what about um, medium? Medium for you does it um, keeping mother plant? How would you? How do you keep your mother plants, and why? In what medium systems, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? I'm super flippant and easy. Like I used to go cocoa just because I felt super confident that I could bring them to good health before um, needing to take clones. But again, this one mother I'm keeping at the minute, I've started to turn the cocoa into more of an amended medium. And it's just responding so much happier. Yeah. Which is strange because I never grew it in soil before I took clones and started growing it in soil. And then I was like, wow, this is a really happy plant. Why is the mother sulking? And then I put some amendments in there and the the mother was like, yes, finally, I'm back in the mud. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird. But yeah, so um, yeah, I did go cocoa because I was confident about health. But some genetics seem to prefer different stuff. Yeah. But it's just, it's just another discussion we had last night. And I think, again, recently we were talking about the different plants reacting and how many genetics. This is another rabbit hole. We won't go fully down it. But how a plant may be completely different, grown in a different, in, in amended soil or in cocoa or in water, you know. So they're definitely saying too that, I think. Yeah, man. We don't know what breeders all the time are doing their selections in. Yeah for their their grow environment and stuff like that man so sometimes it does take us doing some testing to find out what works best exactly yeah and that is the beauty of it everyone should test and play and that's how we evolve as growers so even down to keeping mums taking clones germinating seeds but do you run do do you do the same like would you also go cocoa for confidence i go cocoa for convenience because I've always got a feed set around that will do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It's not about not wanting this all. I just find for the way that I grow mums. So like I said, I'm recycling mums, which isn't the ideal scenario, but I want a vigorous plant and I will, it will definitely in the early stages I find in, in co- uh, cocoa to soil is, is that it's a bit faster and it's a bit more vigorous just out of the gate. So I means I can get, I f- think that by rooting in, straight into cocoa as long as you've got obviously your ph and ec's correct and you know the strain uh, you can turn them around a bit quicker and they'll be a bit stronger straight away but that's that's not the reason it's convenience for me um cocoa is probably not the ideal medium because of the fact you know it's not bound by the same rules as root area as soil so keeping a mother in cocoa might get pretty big pretty quick in small pots that wouldn't be so much the case in soil i think Fair. Uh, um I found because I keep all my mums in two litre pots. I don't know why it just became like that's my standard. Pot, yeah. it, it, it's a good size pot, like, and I've always got two litres sat around for some reason. Um, but I found after, I don't know, maybe two or three months, any old bagged soil that I had been using, because I'm really kind of new to amended stuff all the bag stuff would be pretty much inert anyway so i'd be feeding cocoa nutrients after about the second or third month of a mother being kept yeah um probably not the best practice but the medium seemed to be inert and they reacted incredibly well to it so yeah i don't know if that's useful to anyone but it's like sometimes it you can adapt to how the medium is living at the time yeah 
I've said this uh, many a time, more about soil growing out of a compost bag using bottled nutrients. You are basically growing hydroponically after four months in a 10-litre pot growing in soil. I mean, after uh, less than that, but you know what I mean. And it's definitely, definitely true when growing with... Um, you're not going to be able to really properly keep a living soil, are you, in a five-inch pot for three months with a well-established mother you know no. you, 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 I, you know what now you said that jog my memory i was that that done it i think it was an exodus mum was the only mum i had at the time and i just started lazily throwing cocoa nutrients at it and it seemed to go really well and that's when it dawned on me well there's nothing alive in there now anyway because the plant was huge and it was a tiny pot so i effectively turned my soil pot into a in a hydro pot i think yeah yeah no because you've almost got so much bare root that you have to start taking over the drip feeding yourself yeah, yeah. and give it ready available nutrients because there's no medium to do any of the work anymore. So yeah, that's definitely it. That's definitely it. So yeah, but I just find cocoa convenient. Mm-hmm. I grow in cocoa. I have cocoa feeds. Normally I'd have a veg and a flower feed set around them. If if, if I've got a plant that's hungry and I'm at like say one meal A and B in veg towards the end of veg, I can put it in a 10 litre bucket, throw two litres water over the top of it and it's watered down again. You know, so it's never, uh, and I don't like keeping nutrients around for a long time. So I'll be buying soil nutrients just to keep them on. Although you do it, you're amended, like you said, but for me, I, I was using plant magic, old timers, things like bottled nutrients to keep the mums in the soil, or if I was going to keep a mum in soil. So yeah, I, I wouldn't, that's why it's convenient. But there's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, you wouldn't want to do it in full water. I don't think Mr. Man did it for a while, but again, it kind of comes down to your maintenance. Um, you mentioned the size of the plant in cocoa and the, the mother I had to cut back for clones the other day was like freaking four and a half foot tall in a two and a two liter pot. They get big sometimes when you're not really paying attention. Yeah. Um, but that's when it kind of goes out of whack. If you can keep on maintenance, and have a nice little bush that's still the right size for its pot. And you can maintain that, man. Like, And cocoa, again, it would be much easier to kind of uh, feed the right amount for the right size plant. And then you're not getting the daily sucks and all the rest of it. But Yeah, yeah. Once I hacked back the other day, the it just became a lot more maintainable, if that yeah. makes sense. It's, it's now, again, the right size plant for the right size pot. That, that is a big part of it, yeah. And that, that definitely feeds into where we started, I think, as in what are you growing for? If what, what, are you, what are you growing for? What are you using the mother for? So if you are turning it over, then you need to keep it manageable. You need to keep it manageable anyway, but, I mean, if it's just keeping a plant you want tucked away at the back of a tent, it's a bit different. Yeah, but I, I think it also kind of helps people set their own rule about pot size to mother plant. Yeah. Because just because I use two liters doesn't mean that a two liter mum is the only way to keep a mother plant. If you if you've got a plant that is an adequate size for a five liter plant uh, pot, keep it in a five liter pot. Yeah, it's just I usually take them down. I'll usually start my main stem and it'll be about two or three inches. So I kind of build a small tree, and then I've got a platform that everything shoots up off of for my clones and quickly um, as well doesn't it? it it will turn around a lot quicker from stripping other clones off of it when it's yeah, yeah. like yours are so um but if you're looking for a, a 
a big plant that you can take a, a lot of clones off fairly regularly, then you'd be looking for a larger plant overall. So, yeah, your pot size really comes down to your plant size always. So, as a rough, if okay, this is we don't like to do this here because what we talk, we're talking about our experiences. But if you was to advise someone on a pot size to play with a mother in putting you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> I, say, no, I, I say start with two because in, yeah. in where we are space is always valuable yeah, yeah. um you wouldn't want to put the value of a 10 liter foot space and just for fucking about on some other yeah no i totally agree and i was, I was going to say one to two liters probably in cocoa way that i do it but even in salt yeah, is yeah it, it, you don't need anything more than that really absolutely so. man uh, especially if you're using if if you're in a position where you can take two mothers or two clones off the same mother uh, off the same plant to mother so you've got one that you can kind of dick about with to find what the plant likes and what the plant doesn't like and one that you can keep just middle way the whole time it can be real uh, it can be a real advantage to know how the plant reacts in different situations yeah, I, I really agree with that. That really touches with the way that I think. And you can play as well. I mean, there's yeah. nothing like just taking clones to see how, how many you can root out of three or four. If you've got some lower growth you're going to strip off of another plant or if you're not expecting to take any clones, if it's just going to be sat there for six months, then you can practice and, and play, like you said. And drive, and drive a screwdriver through the main stem and see how yeah. it reacts. <laughs> Weird, you be you get the advantage of being able to test all these um, bro science myths. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I like that, yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah, but I think that's covered the, the basics of it, hasn't it? I mean, obviously, there's so many rabbit holes there. I'm probably going to listen back to that and come back to you with another list of stuff to really pull apart. 